This is the 7-Figure Agency Podcast. Discover the strategies and techniques to grow a highly successful and profitable digital marketing agency with your host, Josh Nelson. Hello and welcome. I'm super excited today to be joined by Will Hank. Uh, Will, I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. We're really excited to have you with us. Uh, this is the 7-Figure Agency Podcast and we're interviewing successful digital marketing agencies from across the country on what they've done to grow, scale, and take their businesses to the next level. So, Will, thanks so much for being on with us. Glad to be here, Josh. Thanks for the opportunity. So you're going to let me know, is it Will? I always ask, and the team always tells me one way or the other. I'm like, is it Hanky or is it Will Hank? Hanky. Yeah, Hanky Panky. That's the easy way. Hanky. <laughs> Will Hanky, now I know for sure, right from, from you directly. So, Will, um, give us a, like a high-level overview, kind of where you're at in the business now, kind of the, the niche that you serve, and kind of where, where you're at in terms of clients, revenue, et cetera. Sure. I uh, had, uh, had a government job paying really well way back in the 90s and uh, decided I wanted to start my own thing. I was reading the four-hour work week, things like that. I said, man, I really want to do that. Uh, rode my bike over one day to city hall, bought a business license, started my business. And it was a typical generalist agency. Uh, anybody that would raise their hand and, and give me money, you know, I'd take it. If it was a divorce attorney or, or a mattress company or whatever it happened to be. Uh, and you had to learn the industry. Right. Uh, and did that for obviously a long time. Uh, 2017, 2018, uh, seven figure agency came on my radar and uh, it's funny, Josh, I was at the point where uh, I could recite your ads, you know, as they were playing. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so tired of seeing this guy. And hi, it's me, Josh Nelson. You know, I, I could recite them back. And finally, one day it clicked that I probably ought to pay attention to that. Uh, so uh, got into Seven Figure Agency and started uh, the niche agency called Window Treatment Marketing Pros uh, in 2018. And I uh, had a couple clients in that industry was doing really well for them from a lead gen standpoint. And uh, it was kind of a no brainer. It, it's a little different than a lot of these guys in the group because it's not necessarily a passion that I have for window treatments, but I saw, I saw a blue ocean opportunity and, uh, and went for it. So. And so where are you at now in terms of recurring revenue, number of clients? Uh, we're around 32 clients right now, 50 K in revenue. And uh, super excited about it. You know, I never, I never thought we'd get this far, but uh, but it, it's uh, pretty exciting to be here. Amazing. Well, congratulations on getting to 50k, guys. If you're excited to hear Will's journey and kind of how he made the leap to 50k in his agency, serving a very specific niche, window treatment companies, uh, give me a yes, give me a one, give me a let's do this in the comments, and let's dive in. Well, yeah, it was a lot of it was a little bit of feedback on your end. Maybe I've got a tab open on my end here. Okay, let's keep going. So I guess tell us tell us a little bit about how you got into digital marketing in the first place. I think it's always a fun place to start. Yeah, a little bit of a weird story. I uh, back in the nineties, uh, I built a website called postcardsformom.com. And the idea was just to to prank my mom. And, uh, and get people from around the world to send her postcards just randomly. And, uh, and it kind of blew up, went viral. And, uh, it, you know, I was, I was on the front page of the Washington Post. I was in all these different things. And that's when I realized, oh, you can actually like monetize building websites. It's not just building websites for fun. So started getting into SEO, 
uh, was on websites like Digital Strike and some of these old sites, you know, and learning SEO and all these different things. Back in the day, it was a lot different than it is now. Uh, but uh, just starting to learn it, fell in love with it, uh, dug in really deep. And then I, I started teaching it uh, to other business owners in the area. And that's that was my plan for getting clients really was local networking and uh, and teaching classes on how they could do it themselves, which obviously, you know, a portion of them would say, we can't do this. You know, can you just do it for us? You know, that was the plan. So education based uh, marketing, right? To like give them the how to yeah. and then they're like, ah, can I just pay yep. you to do it? Yep. And I'd say we still do that today. Uh, I'm very heavy on dumping value uh, to potential clients or just people in the industry. Uh, providing tons of value where there's no way they don't know who we are or what we do or what they can do themselves. Uh, and at some point, uh, if they follow some of the things that we talk about, you know, they're going to get busy enough that they need to hire somebody to do it because they can't keep up. Got it. So, so you have, a, I know you have a military background. Kind of tell me like where you, how you exited the military, went into entrepreneurship, um, and kind of where you were when we started working together back in like 2018-ish. Yeah, uh, got out of the military in the early 2000s. Uh, had an IT background, uh, uh, electronics type stuff. And always had a computer. I had a computer since I was little, little VIC-20, you know, back in the day. And, and we would get the Commodore magazines and we'd be punching in the code line by line in basic just to, to make some character animator something on the screen and uh uh you know then that that eventually turned into um, me starting the agency uh in the late 90s and building websites is really all i was doing you know building a website handing it over to a business owner and and uh here you go good luck you know and, and i had no idea that i was doing a disservice by not helping them actually promote the website uh, so once I once I found out about that, really through that postcards for mom experience, uh, that how you could monetize things, uh, that really opened my eyes to everything. Fell in love with marketing. Read every book out there. Uh, I know Bill Crawford earlier today was talking about going into Borders and just looking at all the books. And oh man, that was awesome going in there and finding all kinds of things. Uh, but just really uh, immersing yourself in in uh, everything business related. And uh, my wife would argue that I still do that today, maybe a little bit too much, but uh, you know, that Passion is for learning. You actually enjoy it. Like me, like, like it's not just cause you want to learn. It's like, you really want to know and it's exciting for you. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to share it with others. Uh, I really enjoy the education piece of just teaching other people how to do things uh, that I know and that I've learned over the years. Here's how you do that. Love it. Okay. So fast forward, Gone through military, did you know website builds around 2018-ish. Where was the agency at that point? Like how much revenue on a monthly basis typically? Yeah, kind of embarrassing from uh from we'll call it 2003 to 2018. I probably uh I probably just kind of leveled out around 10 grand a month. Mm, some okay. some were seven, some were 14. You know, those were really good months. Uh, but pretty much constant until 2018. Uh, and even after joining Seven Figure and starting to figure out the niche, uh, one thing a little different about the niche I chose was there was nobody marketing to these guys. It's not like roofers where there's somebody every day, 
you know, pounding on these guys' doors. There was nobody talking to window treatment uh, owners about what they could do and how they could get more leads online. Uh, so kind of had to overcome that, first of all, uh, gaining their trust, I guess you could say. And I did that, you know, as I said, just by dumping value out there, tons of value and, uh, and eventually gained their trust and started to get some people sign up, which is obviously a good thing as well. <laughs> yeah. So give me, so give me a one in the comments if, if you can relate, because I know in my first agency, that was, that was it. I would get to like that $10,000 monthly level and, you know, just couldn't break through to the next threshold. And it sounds like, Will, that was your, your story for going on 15 years or so. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing too is the, the scarcity mindset. Uh, I was definitely part of that crew. And uh, there were, you know, when I got to 14, I, I dialed back things. I'm like, oh man, you know, I don't, I don't want this to get out of hand. Uh, that internal you know, thermostat said, whoa, whoa, too much, too much money, maybe too much work. Yep. Let's, let's, let's take it back a notch. Absolutely. And, and the self-sabotage was a real thing uh, for me. And just making sure that I didn't get like, you know, like, like I said, too out of hand, which is kind of a silly thing to say, but uh, it's funny how your mind kind of works that way. And finally around, I'd say 2019, uh, I gave myself permission to succeed. And, uh, once I did that, things started really rolling. Love it. I love that. You know, it was a mindset thing for you probably more than anything else. Cause you knew yeah. what to do. You knew how to do it. You were really good at websites and SEO and pay-per-click and just mentally you had to give yourself permission. Like you said, to you know, make more money and take things to the next level. Um, thinking back to that time, just curious, because I know a lot of people were stuck in that place. What, what, like, what were some of the readings or some of the thought work that you did to, to you know, get through that, that internal hurdle? Yeah. Um, I, I was, I was big on, you know, like you said, learning once I, once I kind of realized I needed to change my mindset, I just started, uh, doing a lot of things related to that, listening to podcasts, uh, reading books on it uh, that are around that uh, abundance type of thinking. And of course, Seven Figure Agency, everybody in that group is that way. So you can't help but be immersed in that uh, just by hearing other people talk, listening to their answers and how my answer would have been a lot different back then. Uh, that really helped as well. Just understanding that, you know, these guys understand that the sky's the limit. And uh, and wow, that was that was really a change for me, quite honestly. Yeah. So, so just changing your thought process can have a huge impact and, you know, thinking, you know, not, not 10 K, but 83 K or more, you know, just really it changes what your expectations internally are and kind of what you do. Um, that's a great share. And I think all of you guys, you know, we all have an internal thermostat of some, some point, right? Whether it's 10,000 a month or $50,000 a month or $500,000 a month, you know, you have to consciously decide that you're worthy to earn more. Right. And that you've got more to bring to the world. And until you change that thermostat, you'll continually bring yourself back you know, to where your where your comfort zone is. So I think that's a, that's a great share. Yeah, definitely. Definitely important to give yourself permission to do that. Uh, you know, and Kevin, Kevin O'Leary, I think, is always talking about you've got a hobby, not a business. Right. You know, just changing that mindset too. that. OK, this is no longer a hobby for me. This is even if it's considered my full-time gig. It was still kind of a hobby, you know, just something to do for fun. Uh, but making that shift to, okay, let's, let's hit the gas and go uh, really change things. So good.
So let's let's talk about some of the shifts. So you kind of went from that ten thousand dollars stuck point to now you're at fifty in monthly recurring. You're continuing to grow. If you had to point to like three or so changes that you made, what were like what were some of those shifts and changes? Okay, um, probably the biggest one uh, was webinars uh, and being more um, dialed into that. Mm. Being more dialed into you know I would do them from time to time. Uh, got pretty good at them, but there was, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, consistent, I guess, with doing those uh, and doing webinars and using that platform to start to teach. So now I'm no longer just teaching uh, in St. Louis, in my town, you know, to people that show up. Uh, I'm teaching to hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people across the country. And, uh, and, and they could, they could teach it and, and, um, consume it on their own time, which is really different. They didn't, it didn't have to be Wednesday night at seven o'clock at the La Quinta, right? You know, it could be whatever. <laughs> it could be whatever. Really embracing the, the, the yeah. monthly webinar method to put out great content, to position yourself as an expert. Yep, for sure. Uh, we talk in the seven figure agency about omnipresence. And I think that's a big part of that is just being everywhere that no matter where somebody is, they're getting some sort of value from you, from your business. Uh, that's a big key for us. Love it. Great cheer. So if you're not doing webinars on a consistent basis, you know, and, and this is a, a power play that almost everybody that comes through seven figure agency implements um, and it, and it helps you create content, nurture your database, remain top of mind. Um, and it leads to new clients coming in at a much lower sales resistance basis. Yeah, for sure. And then, of course, there's always the other pieces of cutting that up and using that on your social media, uh, sharing short snippets out in a newsletter or something. There's a lot of ways to use that one piece of content. Uh, and in some cases, you can even cut those up into podcast episodes and reach that audience as well. Awesome. All right. So we've got number one, webinars. Yeah. Number two is probably the book. Um, writing a book and getting that out there has really helped us leverage uh, quite a bit. Uh, just the fact that we've written a book about marketing for window treatment companies is very, very strange thing for a lot of them. <laughs> Uh, yep. So when they hear, wow, they actually wrote a book about this, uh, they're, you know, it's a great lead magnet for us. And I'm happy to spend the money it gets to, you know, get it printed and all that kind of stuff and mail it out, uh, mail those out, uh, priority mails so they get them within a day or two. Uh, and, uh, and we also offer uh, our book as a freebie, a freebie when somebody signs up for a webinar. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a little carrot there when somebody signs up for the webinar. At that point, we already know that they're kind of interested in what we're doing. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and hit them from another angle by sending them a book as well. So it works out well, especially since a lot of people don't attend the webinars. You know, that's, right. that's usually not something they attend live. They sign up for it, don't, don't show up for it. Uh, so having the book as a secondary method to the webinar works really well. So you're, so you're saying power positioning, you've published the book, and you're the author of internet marketing for your niche window treatment companies. Um, yep. That gave you some authority, and it also gave you some different assets to get in front of that niche um, you know, by mailing it out, by offering it free plus shipping, and then also actually mailing it to people that register for your work. I like that angle. Uh, are you physically mailing them the book, or are you sending them the digital copy? 
No, I physically mail every single book that we have uh, Very good. out. They, they can just go to the website, grab a copy of it, and uh, and off it goes right to their mailbox, usually within a hold day that or up, two. Hold that up. Congratulations then, on getting that done. I know you were one of the early implementers on, on getting the book done. You've had it out for, for a while now. Um, yeah. So I think it's really important to tip here. He's saying that, yes, the book positions you you know differently in the industry, gives you expert positioning, but there's something powerful what, about the physical copy as opposed to just digital. Yeah, you could send them a PDF and it's the same content, but them getting a mailing with a book inside of it, having it on their desk or having it like in the physical world, um, don't discount the power of that from a positioning perspective. Absolutely. The book goes out, like I said, two-day priority. There's a little letter in there from me uh, you know, uh, about our business. It's not real salesy, just real quick about our business and, uh, of course, a link to sign up for a strategy session. Uh, but, uh, but that's a, it's a great, it's a great positioning piece. I love it. I take it to the expo and the conventions and things like that and give those away. Typically I'll exchange it for a business card. So I don't just set it on the table and anybody that comes by can grab one. Uh, they have to pay for the book with some yeah, sort give of me something card. in exchange for the book so I can follow up with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that works really well. We we only took, um, I think we took like a hundred and something to the last expo and they were gone the first day. So uh, we nice. had to, we had to, we had to hoard three or four back of them the second day and say, we're not giving these away, but sign up. Only here for qualified prospects. <laughs> that's, that's uh, great. But it was a and great excuse. You know, when you think yeah. about the alternatives at a trade show or event like that, um, you know, you could print out tchotchke, you could print out like tchotchkes, you could have a nice brochure, and it's funny that the cost for your physical printed book is practically the same as you'd pay for a brochure, but it's just so much more sticky in terms of when yeah. they get home, like they actually keep that instead of throwing it in the trash. Yeah. And I think one of the things is we, we don't necessarily care if anybody reads the book, right? If they do, that's fantastic. And sometimes I'll get an email or something saying, Hey, Will, I'm on chapter three of your book, really enjoying it. I'm like, wow, that's, that's crazy. Right. Uh, but for the most part, it's a positioning piece that, you know, those are the guys that literally wrote the book on this industry. So, yes, for sure. Okay. So we've got one was webinars, two was the book. What What's number three? Number three for us was joint ventures. Uh, starting to find out who are the big players in the industry and taking some time to, again, dump value on them. Uh, but position ourselves in such a way that they uh, they say, okay, what do you guys do? You know, and, and can you help us? Uh, that has worked out really well for us for several joint ventures, uh, where now I'm I'm writing uh, for the industry magazine, doing webinars for them from time to time, uh, and just you know partners partnering up with these different industries and and uh, buying groups, associations, things of that sort has really helped us gain momentum in a terrific way. So good. So like the JV Jumpstart strategy, like figuring out who's already selling to the people in your niche, connecting with them. I think the, the stacking order at which you mentioned these three, you mentioned webinars first, and I'm sure the webinars helped you create the content that formed your book, right? Because I know you, you did a lot of customization of the book. Second to that was the book itself, which is this physical yep. asset, the position you see as the expert, so when you start to go after the association, when you start to go after these joint ventures, you're not just like, hey, I'm some dude, you know, that, that wants to sell to your clients. It's like, hey, I've got all this great content. If you want, I can do a webinar. I'd love to put a book in their hands. And they see you as an expert. They can come in and add value to their client base or add value to their, to their association. Um, and so 
I think that that stacking of those three makes a lot of sense. And it's great to hear that probably where most of the business comes from is, is those relationships with the, the joint ventures that have access to your client base. Absolutely. A hundred percent. That just having those, those um, key partnerships, uh, I've got a little whiteboard over here. I wrote down who are the people I want to get in front of. Uh, and the same thing when you go to a conference, you know, you, you, there are certain people that you just want to get FaceTime with uh, and make sure that you're in front of those people and that you're introduced to them. And, and you're not there to sell. You're not there to do anything. Just get in front of them at that time. And, and then down the road, you can, you can uh, follow back up with them and say, hey, I'm the guy, you know, and gave you the book or whatever it happens to be. Uh, but uh, the joint ventures have really uh, changed the game for us, for sure. So good. Great cheers, guys. If you have questions on these three plays and kind of how Will has leveraged them in his agency, post in the comments. Where I want to go now is I want to go back. So, you know, we're at $50,000 a monthly recurring revenue now. There was this period where we got to 10K and we were kind of stagnated. It seems like one of the first pivots was like deciding on this niche and deciding rather than being a generalist, I'm going to work with window treatment companies. Can you talk a little bit about why you chose that niche, what your process was in kind of landing on that particular vertical? Sure. Um, I actually, uh, when I started kind of through that process, I built a list of niches and that list was probably 200. It was everything wow. from garage doors to chiropractors, to, you know, everything you, you typically think of. But I, I would drive around town and, and, oh, garage doors, that might be something, you know, and I would, I would keep a list of all these different things. Along the same time, uh, I had a client uh, that I probably had for six or seven years in the window treatment industry, and he was just killing it here in St. Louis and, and still is today. You know, he's you look for anything, you're going to find this guy, right? Uh, and uh, I also had an awning company. So I actually went to my window treatment client and said, hey, you know, if, if we did um, if we did some work with awning clients, does that affect you in any way? You know, like the other side of the window? And he said, nope, two different industries. Um, so I kind of doubled up, you know, just because I had clients in both of those and they really don't compete with each other, but they're the same end result, right? Uh, yep. So had two clients uh, in the industry, noticed that there was nobody marketing to these people. Uh, I take that back. There was a book on Amazon called, you know, marketing your window treatment company or something like that, that had been written two or three years prior. And uh, I, I went and looked up who the author was, did a little stalking and uh, turned out that he had actually quit his marketing career and was a pilot or something. Now I'm like, okay, well, that was my only competition that I thought might be up against me. <laughs> uh, so I knew right away that that was a, a you know, blue ocean kind of deal. And uh, I realize it's going to take a while for this to kind of ramp up, but uh, but there's there's little competition in this particular industry, so went for Love it. it. So, so what you did there is like one of my favorite plays, which is as a generalist agency looking at the client base, like where do I have clients? Where do I have wins? Um, where can I kind of like say, hey, look, here's some like interesting pocket. Like for me, it was a plumbing company we'd done business with. It was like. Hey, I've got this one plumber that we did well. Let's let's see if we can replicate that success. And so it sounds like that was the play for you. You had this client in Windows that you did great work for. You're like, okay, there's not much, you know, competition here. Let me position myself in that particular vertical. Um, so now, like, 
you know, you've got the one client. How did you parlay that into into five or more clients? Like, what were the initial strategies to land those first five in the niche? Um, initial strategy for me, uh, I I'm a big um, implementer. I get stuff done as soon as I can. So speed. you know, once, speed of implementation, once, love it. Yeah, once I uh, once I decided on a niche, I think I had a website up in two days. Mm. Uh, you know, and it was a bare bones, but it worked. And, uh, and, you know, got that up and out of the way immediately. I had a legacy agency, so I kind of already had a good idea of packaging and pricing and that kind of stuff. Uh, so I, so that was an easy transition. It was just rebranding as the, uh, as window treatment marketing pros instead of the generalist agency. So, um, so speed of implementation, one thing, um, joining the association right off the bat, uh, and then hiring somebody to scrape that list. Uh, so that we could get find out who those people were, get in front of those people, or at least get them on some sort of a list, um, and um, uh, start through the the uh, process of reaching out to them. Cold calling, uh, cold calling is still a big strategy for us today. Uh, I know when when we first started uh, in eighteen, you know, you, the idea was get enough people to to say yes to a, a video or something that you're going to send to them. And uh, then that gets them on the list. We still do that today. Uh, I'll have uh, uh, one of our VAs, you know, we'll pick 10 cities and say, okay, go to, go to Google, type in window treatments, Memphis, go to page two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, and, and find out who all those companies are and let's, let's get in front of them. So uh, that strategy we still use today, both from the cold calling side and from the cold email side. Love it. So like, was it the association? Was it some introduction through a JV? Like if you had to think about where the, the, the next four clients to get you to five or more in the niche, what do you think? Was it straight cold call? They responded to your video. You sent the video and you got the deals like that? Yeah, mostly. And and that list was built. Uh, we did buy a list, um, but had a, had a real struggle getting that list together because there wasn't that many window treatment companies out there that were doing big numbers or we thought there wasn't, wasn't. Uh, we did buy a list, but most of it was from the association and then reaching out to those people and, and uh, saying, hey, we can help you. And there were two wins right off the bat, like within the first month, uh, we got two new clients, uh, I think 1500 each. And I was like, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. You know, I, I was like, wow, I can't believe I didn't do this years ago. Uh, and then we had a four or five, six month stretch where nobody signed up, you know, so, okay. Maybe it wasn't such a cool thing. You know, those, those two wins right off the bat were uh, great uh, adrenaline for us to keep mm -hmm. moving forward, I think. And, yep. uh, and then they just started coming in uh, through those methods, through having the website. Uh, the other one thing that I did was since I had a legacy agency uh, that had a nice history behind it, and I had been working on SEO on my own website for a long time, I actually built some pages on my legacy agency website uh, about the niche because they ranked a lot faster. They had a little bit more authority behind them already, right? Yep. Yep. So those, those pages ranked really quickly. And then once I got the niche website up and it started getting its own authority, redirected those to that and I was off to the races. So. So good. So good. So it sounds like, you know, guys, for, for those of you listening, maybe that are at that initial phase, you know, choose the niche, 
find where you've got the win or at least create a win, a client case study that you can point to and say, look, this I did this for someone just like you in this industry. Join the association. And that to me is, is an obvious play because then you've got lists, you've got affinity. Uh, and then it's it's brute force, right? It sounds like for you, Will, this was brute force, making calls, yes. sending emails, getting introductions, shooting custom videos, say, here's where you're not ranking, here's why you're not ranking, here's how we can help. And that activity was what kind of got you to the five clients. Uh, and then it was joint ventures and content and webinars that's kind of kept the momentum going. Absolutely. And along the way, uh, you know, I was I was trying to joint venture the association, too. So, hey, you know, here's who we are. Here's what we do. We'd love to help you guys out. And so that if some of their uh, people, as we're kind of brute forcing them, uh, if they called the, the association and said, hey, what do you know about these guys? Well, matter of fact, they're helping us, you know, rebuild our website or something like that. Uh, so so kind of came at it from two different sides at the same time. So good. So good. Love that. So one thing I'd like to talk about is the transition from general to, to niche, because a lot of agencies struggle with this, um, especially some of the, the early seven figure members. They'll say, OK, I'm going to go down niche, but I've got 10000 or $20,000 in revenue that comes in every month from my generalist agency. Um, and you still get referrals to come in and you've still got like legacy clients. So how were you able to make that pivot um, and get over the hump so there was enough revenue in the niche that you could just say, okay, this is where I'm going to focus? Um, yeah, I think uh, for the for the legacy agency, at some point you just got to start saying no, uh, which is really hard when you're hungry, right? But as the niche agency starts to pick up momentum, uh, you can start to say no to the legacy agency side, you know, and, and some of these random things uh, that come along that are just really crazy uh, and starting to be really, really particular about who you bring on. You know, in those early years, if if uh, uh, a landscaper or something like that would have came to us, we're still home services and still very similar to what we were doing. We probably would have took it uh, and and done the work for them, but we would be very specific about who those people were during that time. And then once the uh, once the niche agency hit, you know, three times what my legacy agency did for 20 years, uh, I, I knew this was the ticket to success. I mean, I knew it before that, but, uh, you know, once that once that kind of hit, then you pretty much unfortunately just kind of let the legacy agency either die on the vine or try to sell it, something like that. Uh, but put all your effort into the other one. One thing I would say is, is uh, be careful about just 100% switching and going full on with the, with the uh, niche agency, because you're going to get hungry, you know, it, unless you're really good at sales, uh, there's going to be that transition period where you need that other revenue coming in. So uh, don't, don't, what is it? Chop your, chop your foot off or something like that, you know, uh, but uh, but make sure that you're you're still focusing on both for a short period while while building the niche agency. Yes, great great tip, guys. When you're in that phase with like less than five or ten clients, you got to keep yourself open, right? If, if you like for us, we thought we were going after restaurants. That was our initial niche, and we were all blinders on with with restaurants, calling restaurants, sitting in on restaurants, going and networking in, in restaurants, and then we got an opportunity in plumbing. If we hadn't like recognized, I got to pay the bills, right? I got I, I got family to feed. I've got bills to pay. I got to take that revenue, right? We would have never made that pivot. And so sometimes you find an opportunity in a different niche that's better for you. Sometimes you just get you know two or three projects that help pay the bills in the interim while you get your niche off the ground. Um, so just be open to that, especially in the early game where there's not 
you know, at least ten dollars or $15,000 a month of recurring revenue coming in where you can say no, right? Like kind of you got to get past the startup and struggle phase before you start turning things down. So hard, Josh. It is so hard to, to start telling people no, you know, when they're dangling money in front of you. And, and right. but, you know, you, you still got to be focused on the niche. Uh, but uh, but but don't pass up some some opportunity in those early stages. Yeah, no doubt. So, I, I, you know, I just want to divert for a second. So you went from like this years and years and years and years and years at like 10,000 in, in revenue. And, and now you're up at 50. How is how is life different or better, you know, with with that being the, the, the state of the union in, in your life and business? Oh, a lot different. First of all, my wife doesn't bother me anymore about <laughs> the electric bill, you know, or something. <laughs> Uh, it's quite different uh, from from what it was, and and you know I, I think again I treated it like a hobby, and not necessarily a business. Um, so once I kind of made that switch, uh, lots of freedom, lots of lot, lots of um, uh, more opportunity. I think that you see out there of things that you can do, which is kind of weird that there's more opportunity when you're focused on a niche, uh, but there is a lot more opportunity that way, and just overall lifestyle. Uh, uh, you know, like I said, my wife doesn't bother me as much about things, which is, uh, which is fantastic. So happy, happy wife, happy life, right? Yeah, for sure. So I always like to say, we're trying to make more money, have more freedom and have a bigger impact. And it sounds like for you, obviously at 50 K there, there's more money, there's more freedom in that you know, your wife's not upset about anything. She's like, okay, bills are paid. Life is, life is good. Um, yep. and you're serving more clients and getting great results for those, um, window treatment companies that you do work with. Absolutely. And I've hired two of my four kids as well. So, you know, I'm making an impact on them uh, to yeah. help them out and, and the grandkids uh, obviously eating because of, because of that work. Uh, so the, so the impact side is great. Uh, I always love when, uh, when one of my VAs or somebody will say, Hey, I need a, a certificate of employment. I'm, I'm getting ready to um, submit my, a, a loan for a, for a house. You know, and that's overwhelming when just what just that request, you're like, oh, my God, you know, we're helping somebody buy a house, you know, or they just had a baby or something like that. It's just incredible to be able to help so many people uh, just by just by owning an agency or doing something. So I love that. You're right. When, when you know, you realize, wow, that income and now they get that house and they're taking care of things. And it is fun to be yeah. able to employ family members. Yeah. Right. And give them a career opportunity maybe that they would not have gotten. And now they're developing skills that, yeah, they're going to make money in the moment, but they're also going to be transferable, whether they continue to work with you or not, which is, right. which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, my daughter, Amber, I mean, she's, yeah. she's a 20 something female working at home in her pajamas. I mean, geez, what, you know, that's a great life. You know, I would have loved that when I was in my twenties. <laughs> yes. So good. All right. So let's talk, we, we've talked about the niche. We've talked about kind of how you get your clients and kind of some pivots that you've made. Let's talk a little bit about your program. You mentioned a $1,500 price point. Like, what is it that you're doing for the clients? What do they pay? Just lay of the land in terms of service offering. Sure. Uh, we've got three packages. Uh, we've got one that is kind of the SaaS play. It's uh, $197 a month, and it's just access to uh, our SaaS system, which we call uh, Lead Boomerang. Uh, so that's, that's pretty much it. No marketing. Uh, from there, we've built what we call an SEO roadmap for those people. And then we give them this roadmap and say, here's where you are. This is the next thing you need to do. You need to optimize your Google business profile. 
that's a $350 charge or, you know, whatever that number is. Uh, this is the next thing that you need to do to move the needle. And the nice thing about that low end program, even though it's not a lot of revenue, we see growth from those people, you know, when the mom and pops that are wanting to get going, but can't afford 1500 a month right off the bat. Uh, but we give them the roadmap. Here are the things you need to do in this order. When you have the budget, we'll do the next thing and the next thing. So that that's a really cool program uh, that we call that our foundations program. Uh, then we have our scale program, which is obviously for those doing, you know, a half million to a million, usually uh, it's 1500 a month. And that is uh, as local SEO uh, website, custom website uh, and paid ads. But of course the paid ad budget is separate. Um, so, so all in there, they're probably closer to three grand, four grand uh, at that point per month uh, with the ads running. And then we have uh, our outshine package, which is twenty six ninety seven, and that is uh, that is us being more aggressive, doing the local SEO, doing the ads, uh, putting more money into the SEO side of things to really ramp that up a lot faster. Uh, and get them those leads a lot quicker. Obviously, the pay-per-click is a piece of that as well. Uh, but we kind of we kind of preach pay-per-click as a great start to getting those leads quickly. And then down the road, you know, it becomes uh, a supplement. You can keep it running and keep getting those leads, or you can pull that budget back and maybe implement it elsewhere towards social media or Facebook or you know who knows what. Uh, there's an endless way of going about things. Uh, but, uh, but overall the pay-per-click has to be a big piece of the, of the beginning or else they're going to be four or six months in with no leads and they're probably going to cancel. Right. <laughs> yeah. So kind of like on that higher end, making sure it's a blended SEO and pay-per-click and website and just a little bit more aggressive on all, on all three fronts. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I like and it. so of course, we kind of have an entry level point service for the smaller guys. We've got a scale service, which is kind of probably what you your average client is going to buy, and then you've got the high end that you can move people up to over time, which is about twenty six hundred bucks per month. Yep, yep. And then we've got a couple add ons. Uh, social media is an add on. Uh, uh, we've got a, a service called Email Boomerang. Uh, that goes out and figures out who your visitors are and uh, reverse engineers those and, and then sends them a message. So some really cool little add-ons that we do. Uh, so we've got clients, you know, at the at the 4,000 mark, 4,500, uh, as they continue to add things on and, and come to us and say, what else can we do? You know, uh, that's a good situation to be in. Doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's great to be one of their partners, right, in their success. Right. It's smart to be able to have new things to add that, you know, incrementally increase your revenue, but also add more value to them and make you stickier yeah. with them and generate ultimately what, what matters most, a better result for the client, which ultimately is win, win, wins all the way around. Absolutely. And they're, they're also some of your best cheerleaders, right? Uh, when, when you're, you're just coming up with other things that you can do to make them even more successful, uh, they're very much likely to, to cheerlead you on and, and tell their friends about you. Absolutely. Awesome. So cool. That, that's a great breakdown of kind of your program packaging in that niche, kind of what you do for it, how you get paid for it. Um, I know you're a big SEO guy. You're a big student of SEO. Any cool SEO tips to share with the group on like kind of what works best to get clients ranked either in the map or organically for you? Um, yeah, I think SEO in the last 
year or two has really shifted. Google's put a lot of work into the Google three pack, into the map packs. Uh, and, and I think our efforts have changed to uh, go that route as well. We see mm. in some of the cases, uh, 60, 70% of our clients leads come from that three pack of results, uh, which is just an insane number. Uh, more than organic, which which hurts a guy like me, right? It hurts an SEO guy to, yeah, right. to see that pe- people ain't scrolling down to the organic anymore. Uh, so we've really shifted towards everything and anything we can do to get the Google uh, business profile ranking, citations, uh, press releases, all of those things just to to really start building that Google stack and and getting that uh, getting them into the three pack more uh, more and more often. I think it's a great tip, right? And recognizing the difference between the, the the map and the organic, and making sure to recognize that's where it's at, right? They're they're clicking, they're calling, the leads are coming from the the map listings. Um, I've always, in my mind, you know, considered organic to be the map and the like the the actual organic listings below. But it's important to have that distinction explained to your clients because if you're talking SEO and they don't know you're also talking Google Maps, they could quickly be like, oh, well, I, I wanted to come up in that three pack thing. Well, yes. Our organic strategy is going to get you ranked in the map. It's going to get you ranked in the non-paid listings. Um, and then we're going to layer paid on top of it. I'd agree. I mean, when SEO started, it was it was its own thing. Now it's kind right. of an umbrella of a lot of different mm-hmm. things. Uh, and, and like I said, we just see our clients getting a lot of traction in that Google business profile. So it makes sense that we kind of call that out to them and say, this is an early on strategy for you to get this going, which means you have to start asking for reviews sooner than later. You know, so that's another piece of it, obviously, is getting those reviews. So we need to make sure that we're at you know, getting those things in front of our clients so that they know to be doing those things. Uh, we print out uh, business cards for every new client when they sign up that just has a QR code on the back so their installers can hand that to the client right there in the in the living room. Say, hey, if you really like your uh, your new shutters, you know, why don't you leave us a review? Uh, so we print those business cards out and get them to our clients as soon as possible so they can start generating those reviews right away. I love that. And, you know, obviously that's going to help train the technicians ideally to request the review, right? And to yep. really get those reviews, which is going to move them up in the rankings. It's going to help with the conversion rates. But it's also you smartly getting something physical in the hands of the client. Like anything you can do to get physical, like you send your book, which is great. Now you're also sending these review cards that their sales team can hand out after the service call. Um, and that's a great tip all of you guys should take note of. Whatever you can do to put something physical in our digital world uh, outside of the emails and the social posts um, is going to carry weight. Absolutely. Yeah, we get those business cards out to them. And if they've got a sales team, We'll build um, custom QR codes for each one of them so that the business owner can track who's asking asking for reviews, who's getting reviews, who isn't. And uh, in some cases, our clients will incentivize their their installers uh, to to ask for those reviews uh, in the first place. So so some really cool ways of going about tracking that as well. Love it. I'm just curious on that point. So then, does the QR code take them to like a? a- like a gateway that says who was your technician and write the review and then share it after they submit? Or does it take them straight to Google where they can write the review and it's just tracking the link basically? QR code goes to Bitly and then the Bitly link goes to uh, the Google uh, profile. 
but then each QR code has its own bit.ly link. So we can say John's referral link is this one, Joe's referral link. So, so, so we're John tracking had 19 people this month, click on it where Joe only had three. Yep. Um, and then you're still, you're still taking them straight to Google. So you have the highest probability of getting that Google review as opposed to an internal form and then expecting them to take the next step. Submit. Yep. I like that. Yep. Just, just going through bit.ly so that we can track it. Very cool. Love that. That's a, that is a great little tip right there, guys. If something to consider, especially when they've got multiple technicians and they've got multiple salespeople to help them track that activity. Yep. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit about retention. Like one of the most important aspects of growing our agencies. Yeah. we got to be able to land the clients. we got to be able to deliver great results and you guys do great with that. What are some of the things you're doing to, to improve client retention and client experience and to keep those clients with you long-term? Um, I mean, the easy one is the business reviews. Make sure that we're doing that uh, all the time. Uh, my son, Ryan, I hired him basically to be an account manager and to consistently reach out to them uh, every month. And actually every week, uh, we just built a task list where in week one, uh, his task is to call the client. In week two, it might be to make a video. In week three, it's to text them. Uh, in week four, it's to tell them, you know, how many how many leads we got for you in the last month or something like that. So every week uh, he's reaching out, but he's always reaching out via a different form just in case they don't pick up the phone, but then they'll see the text message the next week. Uh, I think that's huge uh, just to be consistently communicating with your clients uh, because, um as you say, Josh, perceived indifference is probably the biggest killer of accounts. Uh, when they just think that you know you're just you're you're not doing anything, or they don't know what you're doing, right? Uh, and and I've fallen into that trap many times, where we're just working away and we don't hear from a client for three or four months, and then all of a sudden they cancel, you know. And and it's not because we weren't doing anything or not even doing good work for them. Uh, they just they just thought we were just taking their paycheck and and uh, you know I don't know going to the casino or something I don't know. <laughs> I love that. So kind of strategically leveraging a team member, an account manager, your son to check in with the client every week. Here's what's going on. Here's a win, and just let them know that you're there, that you care, and that you're on top of the ball. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and then I'll even do some uh, some Loom type videos. Uh, for the clients. Hey, it's Will just checking in. Here's some really cool stuff. I saw some ranking changes or something like that. Or or here's a new blog that we put up and look at how many uh, backlinks we already got from that. You know, so just again, uh, keeping keeping top of mind is the, the best piece of that. Love it. Some some great tips there for, for retention. So thinking about thinking about scale, you know, now you've got this 50,000 and growing in monthly recurring revenue. But still, you say you've created more freedom. We've got more flexibility to do what you want to do. Um, talk to me about the team. Like, what does the team look like? Are you virtual? Are you international? Are you VA based? Like, what's the what's the mix, and how have you scaled that operation? Yep, um, fifteen total employees besides myself. Um, three of those are in the U.S., so we have a U.S. based writer uh, that writes our content, uh, and then we also use SEO Content Hero for a lot of content. Uh, and then uh, my daughter is the lead web dev, uh, developer. Uh, and then right. she's got two web developers under her in the Philippines. Uh, and then, of course, Ryan doing the account management. So then everybody else is in the Philippines. Uh, nice. Operations manager, uh, two go high level experts, 
so, you know, the whole team, two pay-per-click people, everybody's in the Philippines then. And it's fantastic. I, I always thought that, that, you know, that wasn't the way to go and thought it was a little, would be just really too hard to build a business like that. Uh, but, uh, but everybody that we've brought on is just fantastic. And uh, obviously you have to have the, the pieces in place, right? You have to have uh, a project management system. You have to have SOPs and task lists and things like that. So people know what to do. Um, but, you know, once that is kind of in place and you're never going to stop improving on that, uh, but once that's in place, you know, the team, the team overall has a goal and uh, with the niche, you know, it's the same thing over and over. It's just a different client in a different part of the U.S. I love that. So uh, I, I like the fact that it's a family affair and that like kind of your, your strategy, like the core unit is here in the United States coming up with like, here's the operational infrastructure. And then you've got, you know, international team that can get the work done, do it well, follow the SOPs, follow the procedures uh, while still keeping your, your overhead structure in control. You can still have healthy margins and deliver a world-class result at kind of scale as the business continues to grow. Yeah. And I'm not afraid to hire before, um, before we, the need is there. Uh, we've maybe overhired a little bit right now, but I'm anticipating bringing on more clients. Uh, so that number can kind of, you know, from a, from a payroll standpoint, it's not going to change much, you know, but I can keep bringing on new clients and keep that number pretty, uh, consistent across the board. Love it. Great, great, great stuff. Good, good tips there. There's a couple of questions I want to make sure we get to um, before we before we start to close because you've shared some great insights on how you chose the niche, how you landed your first handful of clients, how you land clients on a consistent basis today, kind of you know what the delivery model looks like, how you've scaled the team, how you retain the clients. Um, give me a one in the comments if you've gotten value. I know I've gotten a lot of great nuggets from today's session. Uh, all right, so first question here is from Jim Swan. He's on uh, he's on YouTube, and his question is. Um, it's intimidating to think of writing a book or creating a webinar if you've never done anything like that before. Um, how did you overcome that? That's a good question. Um, I started out by teaching at the local library. Uh, the libraries in pretty much any town will let people come in if they're if they seem to be an expert on something. So I think getting that one-on-one -on -one time in front of just five or six business owners in your area is a great way to start. You're not paid for it or anything like that, but it gives you that experience. Um, and then from there, it's just doing a webinar to, you know, even if the webinar is to nobody. And, and a lot of times when we first get started, there's nobody on there, right? You know, you're just kind of talking to yourself. But if, as you're doing that, if you're also thinking about, I'm going to be able to slice this stuff up and use it for promotion for my business elsewhere, then I'm not just wasting my time talking to myself for an hour. Uh, there are some additional benefits to that. So even now, uh, you know, years and years into this, uh, if I have six or eight people on the webinar, I consider that a win uh, because I know those are people that are interested, but at the same time, I'm building all this content that's going to go out to thousands after it's over. So uh, interesting, Josh, my first book uh, was called Your Internet Marketing Plan for Window Treatment Companies. And it literally was my webinar first webinar I did, I pulled the transcription of that webinar down and turned it into a book. I had it done in, in a matter of a week. Uh, you know, it wasn't a ton of editing. It wasn't the most eloquent book in the world, but I had a book in short order. 
so I actually used the webinar to create my first book. That's a, that's a great play. And I, I recommend it for, for a lot of you guys. Um, the other thing I would add, Jim, is if you haven't done it, right, the first, best thing to do is to become a student, right? The best thing to do is to research, read the books, sit on other people's webinars, learn the, the, the tactics, and then from there, choose your, your path, right? Some of us prefer to write. Others of us prefer to speak and be on, on webinars and stuff. So if you're more of a writer, then, then go straight to blog posts, straight to content that can become a book. If you're more of a speaker, more of a video person, jump on, record your webinar, even if it's just you talking to the webcam, that will create that practice and kind of get you through that hump. Um, so Jim, hopefully that helps and answers that, that question. Um, great, great feedback here, Will. I will do one last question and then we'll, we'll move to wrap up because Will's got another meeting after this. So Jeremy Mullins asks, what questions do you wish you had asked when you got started that would have propelled you further, quicker that others might not ask? Uh, questions to yourself or questions to or questions you could you know, just, you know, like what questions would you ask earlier that might have helped? Um, I think to myself, I would ask, uh, what ways can I repurpose content? Uh, mm -hmm. What what else can I do with stuff I'm already doing? What other ways can I get this out to more people? Uh, and uh, I hope I'm answering this question right. Uh, you know, get the if I'm doing something, what other ways can I use that to uh, get in front of people on multiple platforms? You know, like I said, with a webinar, you can turn that into a book. You could turn that into a podcast. You can. You can slice that up and use it for social. Uh, you could even put it into a podcast. You know, there's a lot of ways you can do. So so when you're building things um, and you're building uh, exposure for your brand, I think asking yourself, uh, what is something I can do that has multiple uh, ways of, of implementation after the fact? Love it. Great question to ask yourself. Hopefully that answered that question for you. So, Will, great insights here. Really appreciate you sharing. Congratulations on your growth and your success. I know that we'll be celebrating your seven-figure status sometime very, very soon. Um, if you had one last piece of wisdom to share with the listeners that are kind of just trying to get to the next level, what would that be? Don't give up. Uh, I think especially with my niche, uh, Josh, you know there was times when we really struggled. We just couldn't get a new client, and it was really frustrating uh, but I, I was, I was diligent enough during that time to continue to create content and value. Uh, and there were big gaps between new clients. Uh, but you know, once you kind of get over that hump, uh, and you know, I'm not saying you're coasting, uh, but you know, people are paying attention. So don't give up in those early stages, uh, when you're building and when there is a lot of stuff, even in the seven figure, uh, the kickstart group, right? There's a ton of things that you have to go through and all these different steps. Uh, take the time, put your head down and get, and get through it and, uh, and don't give up on it. Uh, funny story. I've got some, uh, baseboards in the house here. You know, I, we, we remodeled during, during COVID, right? That's what everybody did. Uh, so I got, I got the, the new flooring in, got the walls painted, but the baseboards have never been done. It's a, it's a, uh, it's just part of my personality, right? Not to kind of like to get to the 90% mark and, and stop. Uh, but don't do that. Don't, don't stop right before you hit those goals. 
keep pressing on and it, and it's gonna it's gonna work out in a very good way and, and doing it with a niche agency is the obvious answer to that great great tip guys the only way you're gonna fail is if you quit right if you keep going eventually you're gonna get there and will that that award you have behind you kind of put your finger up it was the yeah, breakthrough right, right agency there. of the quarter award because you had that that period where it was like, man, we're just kind of at this lull. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was 20 or 30K. And it just felt like you were there and then you broke through. And that's because you kept taking action. You kept yep. kind of looking at what was working, what wasn't, making shifts, making tw- uh, adjustments, and you, and you broke through the next level. So uh, I think that's a great, great tip to end on. Keep pressing forward. Keep making adjustments. Don't throw in the towel, right? Because – you know, it's the, the story of the acre, acres of diamonds, right? You may just be one or two more digs away from, from, from the acre of diamonds that are going to take you to that next level. Yeah. And with something like seven figure agency, you've got the roadmap. So it's just a matter of implementing it and, you know, and getting it done. Obviously there's a time piece in there to get it done, but just keep your head down and moving forward and you, and it's going to, it's going to work. It always works. Outstanding. Well, Will, thanks again for being here. Really appreciate you sharing. Guys, if you got value, be sure to thank Will. Be sure to tag him in the Facebook group. If you have follow-up questions, we can keep the conversation going over in the Agency Success Facebook group. He's in there, so you can tag him in there with any follow-up questions. And if you'd like to listen to more interviews like this with highly successful agency owners from across the country, uh, be sure to go to sevenfigureagency.com. Um, little register for the for the podcast grab a free copy of the book if you haven't and um we'll see you guys again on a future episode of the seven figure agency podcast thanks so much will thanks josh